You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the Prop G Markets podcast. For nearly two years, Prop G Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high-flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, Prop G Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer? It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome to Between the Links. With your host... Mike Heck. All right, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links on MMA Fighting. Hope you're having a magnificent start to your week as you're coming off a very busy week in the sport of mixed martial arts. We're in the middle of what will be another busy week in our sport, which is the norm these days, especially in 2020. We have a lot to talk about, so much so that I could... I had a really hard time narrowing down the topics, but let's just get right into this thing. Let's not waste any time. Let's get right into this championship matchup on BTL. First, let us introduce the challenger. Of course, Brian Kelleher was supposed to challenge our champion after winning the last two weeks. He couldn't make it. So filling in heroically on short notice all the way from Fight Island Abu Dhabi from MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jose Youngs. How are you, sir? Well, just leave it to a New Englander to bail out a New Yorker in their time of need. Let's not get it twisted. Me, a Rhode Islander, born and raised, coming in to save to help a fellow New Englander out in his time of need when a quote-unquote New Yorker, Brian Kelleher, and I use quote-unquote because he's from Long Island, out in wherever, God's, whatever God sticks that country, so... I will always be here to bail out New York, for sure. <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much, man. It's, I know you have a million things going on. You're in Abu Dhabi, five weeks total, and coming on here, I'm sure there's a million other things you'd rather be doing, but he will take on the returning champion. Back after a couple-week hiatus, the reigning defending BTL champion. She was a multi-time panelist on the MMA Beat. You'll see her from time to time on UFC Unfiltered as a co-host. She's all over the place, and she's got the strap. Phoenix Carnavale, welcome back. How are you? What's up, guys? Fun fights last week, so this is. I'm excited to talk about this. Yes, there is a lot to talk about, so let's get right into this thing, because as it happens so often on this freaking show, we wrap it up or release an episode, and then something gigantic happens like minutes after the fact. This time, it's between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. And as you probably read on the website by now, there's a lot of smoke to this story, the back and forth on social media between McGregor and Poirier. It seems as if the UFC, Conor and Poirier have figured out a way to potentially make a fight happen before the year is over. As we reported last week, the big sticking point here, at least from Connor's side, is 
that this fight needs to happen sometime in 2020, either on November 21st at UFC 255 or on December 12th at UFC 256. So the sticks are rubbing together here, Phoenix, but will they produce a campfire? That's the big question here. On a scale of, of one to 10, how likely, in your opinion, will we see this fight between McGregor and Poirier in 2020? 9.8. That's how likely I think it is to happen. 9.8. Like, if that, that 2% that for it not to happen would be insane. First of all, aren't we always talking about Conor McGregor even when he retires? Everybody's always talking about him. So why would you lose an opportunity to get him on board to something that he says that he's on board for? And even from a public relations standpoint, the guy hasn't had the best PR in the world happening for him lately while he was out of sorts. He didn't really prove much to some of the fight fans with the Cowboy Cerrone fight because it was seemed like an easy win for him. And Cowboy, of course, has been on the decline. So I think it's good PR for him, especially if he's going to donate so much money to Dustin's foundation. And it does kind of do something for McGregor's legacy to fight Dustin. And I know a lot of people have argued me on this one, but the Dustin we see now is not the Dustin of old. This is like top level. Everybody's in love with Dustin Poirier right now. The Dan Hooker fight we could say was probably one of the best fights we've ever seen for that division. So much fun. So if they don't do it, it's a huge mistake. The 2020 thing makes me really curious. It's like I need to get in that tax break uh, with the, you know, doing <laughs> doing the the charity event before the end of the year, or is it something like I really still plan to fight Pacquiao? You know, I give Conor McGregor a lot of crap uh, for for several things, never defending a title shot and things like that. But I I've laid off of that because what he does do is he always stirs up excitement. And to say that this isn't that is is dumb. And I think the UFC knows that too, because this also puts him in a position for fun too. It puts him in a position for possible Ferguson. And I know we're going to get into that later. So I say that if they don't make this happen, I, I really can't see why not. Jose Phoenix giving this a 9.8 out of 10 that this thing happens before the calendar turns to 2021. Are you as confident with with this fight between McGregor and Poirier? Um, I'm not as confident that will happen in 2020. I am very confident it will happen for a few things. I know, as I'm sure you are both aware, Dana White hasn't spoken to the media here on Fight Island in two weeks. I think that has a lot to do with he's getting very close to negotiations with Conor McGregor or coming to a deal. I don't think he wants to say anything that would jeopardize uh, those contract negotiations. Uh, that's just all speculation, but he hasn't really said anything. Uh, I haven't seen him at all. I've seen him one day this entire trip, and he, I've been here for three more than three weeks. Uh, I also know they're trying to put fans into the audience for the last Habib Gaethje card, and they're trying to sell tickets. Whether how many tickets and how many fans that's possible, I don't know. So if they are allowing fans in, then why not have a Conor McGregor card? But I don't know if they can hold a Conor McGregor card in the, the UFC Apex. Maybe they want to move to a bigger arena uh, somewhere in Las Vegas, or if they want to hold that in Abu Dhabi and maybe the end of January, beginning of February, that's another option too. So I would agree 9.8 that this fight actually happens, but I'm going to say about five for five out of 10 that it happens in 2020, just because I, I don't think it'll happen on the November card. We already got the two flyaway title fights. And then the December one would be more likely, especially because Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns is not happening on that card. And it seems pretty open. I know they want the Hamza show on the 9th, 
17th uh, in Las Vegas. But then I also know Hamza is here in Fight Island to do some media. So I don't know if he can get back into the country. I don't know the whole situation with uh, Sweden to the United States and back. I know there's some sort of two-week process. So I'm not quite sure what the timetable is for that. So I, I, I'm pretty confident it will happen. But I, I lean towards more beginning of 20, 2021 than end of 2020, just based on the writing on the wall. Yeah, I mean, the November card's got two title fights, but if we're looking at at it from a business perspective, and I like all four fighters involved, but l- let's be honest, they're not like giant pay-per-view draws. Neither is the December card. You you want to add to that, Jose? Well, I don't think Connor wants to fight on cards with champions because he doesn't want to give them pay-per-view points, and I know the UFC doesn't want to give <laughs> champions pay-per-view points, especially Connor McGregor pay-per-view points. So I think if there's, especially if two champions are on the card, there's no way Connor fights on that November card. I don't think the UFC wants to shout that much money. I mean, it Can is. Can I ask you guys all a sure. question too, just based off of like what what has been in the pipeline? Do you think that any of this has to do with the possible Pacquiao fight in 2021, and and that's why he's demanding it for 2020, or is it just like he just wants to get in on there? I bet. Well, I know. I think Pacquiao left Paradigm Sports, if I'm not mistaken, and I know Connor. That is Connor's agency, so I don't know if that fight will happen. And if it does, it'll it, it, it'll happen in 2021, obviously. And Connor just unveiled he built like a full size octagon in his backyard, so I know he's training. So I bet that doesn't even have to do. I bet he. I bet if, if anyone's going to do it both, it's going to be Connor. Uh, but it'll, I think both fights will happen in 2021, honestly. Manny actually went to Twitter 17 hours ago as we record and said that, quote, he's excited to have officially partnered with Paradigm Sports. So it looks like. Well, there you go. Yeah. So if he was with them before. Going back and forth. Yeah. He's, he's, he's jumping back and forth. He did say big things are coming. Stay tuned. I mean, obviously, if you're Connor and you're trying to enhance your bottom line, the Pacquiao fight is like a billion times bigger because he'll make a lot more money and we can poo-poo it all we want because we know how that fight's probably going to go down, but we're all going to watch it and we're all going to be fielding questions from our friends and family about it. That's just the way that it is. But back to kind of this whole McGregor Poirier thing, it's amazing what can happen when you have the star power of a McGregor because that was questioned for a little while, especially with his problems, alleged issues with the law, because when he speaks, people listen, the UFC listens, the fans listen, the media picks up on it in so many different ways, not just in MMA, but out of it. It's just absolutely massive. And obviously when Connor is involved, people will care. Now, it's a million pay-per-view buys easy. It's massive. But the betting sites, Jose, they're siding with Connor here. He's, a, he's around a minus 175 favorite in the futures betting world. Poirier, a plus 150 dog. Are they right? Do you, do you favor McGregor here or do you favor Poirier? Because as Phoenix sort of alluded to, the first fight was all Connor at 145, but things have changed quite a bit since they first stepped into the octagon. I think this fight is 50-50, honestly, in terms of what happens inside the octagon. In terms of the batting line, I get it. Connor won the last fight. You say he's going to knock him out in the first round, and he did. So I absolutely believe the betting line is what you said it was, and I don't blame it. But in terms of what happens actually inside the octagon, people who watch the sport like me, yourself, and Phoenix, I think this fight is much, much closer than the first time. It's a completely new Justin Poirier. His striking defense is totally different. Like If anyone watches his featherweight run to what it is now, he has like different head movement. He's blocked with his elbows a lot more. Uh, he's leading with the jab a lot. So like when someone rushes in, he can, he can bounce the jab off of them. So – it is 50 50 in my book, but I do not, I am not surprised the betters, uh, the, the odds makers are favoring Connor. What do you think, Phoenix? Man, I, I hate to agree with Jose, but I really do. 
um, because of the situation with Poirier and how much faith I have at, how much faith I have in him as a fighter. I know that like, as much as we give Connor crap for, you know, not defending his titles, he's always chosen crazy fights that are really challenging. I mean, you, you never boxed. You're going to fight Floyd Mayweather. You have that much belief in your belief in yourself. Then you're going to challenge Manny Pacquiao. You have that much belief in yourself. I mean, it's, it is pretty amazing. So his belief in himself makes you believe in Connor. Uh, but I just, it's just Connor's accuracy that makes it hard for me to just go Poirier all the way. And that's why it's 50, 50 for me right now. Let me ask you this, Phoenix, 9.8, you're giving McGregor versus Poirier that it will happen before the calendar changes. What is your, on a scale of one to 10, McGregor versus Pacquiao, how likely does this fight happen? Whether it's, you know, early 2021, the spring, like, I don't want to see it. I will watch it. If it happens, I could care less if they book it, but obviously it'll be a freak show. And I'm all about the freak show when, when the time comes, but yeah. how likely do you think this fight happens? I think it happens. I say it happens. I just, I just think that like, you know, as much as I don't respect Connor for certain things, the, the, the hand truck through the window, especially when I fought so hard for the legalization of MMA in New York. And then he pulls that, which makes me look bad after I was like, these fighters are great people and blah, 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 you know? So like I have that little, but that's a, my own emotional biases of why I don't like Connor. But what I do like about Connor is his ability to get stuff done and his complete and utter dominance over the business of MMA and now combat sports. So if he wants to do it, he's going to do it. Does it happen, Jose? Are we going to see yeah, McGregor versus Pacquiao? If, if there's smoke, there's fire. And if Connor admits that it's happening, and I am pretty sure, and this is by no one's told me this, but there's no way Connor can negotiate a match with Manny Pacquiao not having the UFC or Dana White somehow involved, or at least they are aware that it's happening. I think the fact that Dana's like, I don't know anything about this, I think that's a little ridiculous uh, because how does his prized, most prized fighter negotiate without him knowing? So uh, if there's smoke, there's fire, and I do think this will happen. I don't care if it happens, but he's a prize fighter and make as much money as you can before your windows close. So if you want to make a bunch of money to fight a limited match again in a fight that he'll probably lose, all power to him. I don't really care, but uh, I think it will happen. He's, he's going to make a everyone's just going to make a bullet of money like last time. Yes. Can I just say something? You guys might be more educated on this than me. But what happened with Zufa boxing? And is this like a lead into that? <laughs> That's or like what? Not, I don't, as far as I know, I was at a press conference and Dana White's like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> like, I think he, he got his fingers in the, he, he like tested in the water with his fingers and he's like, oh wow, boxing is absurd and impossible to promote. I do not want anything involved with this. I also, part of me thinks he was really teasing that because I know his son was trying to get into amateur boxing, but I haven't heard anything in a very long time. So if it's, if Dana was trying to promote boxing, maybe he was trying to like use that as a way to get his son up the ranks, but I'm not, again, I haven't heard anything about his son anytime soon about pursuing that career, but I think Zufa boxing is, is, is not happening anytime soon. It was a great t-shirt. We got a lot of people talking it a great and, and it led to one of the coolest stories ever. Uh, Jose, you know, Mike Dice very well. And I remember when this is all, <laughs> you know, where I'm going with this. Our, our old friend, Mike Dice 
got the, uh, the, 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 the URL zufaboxing.com. And if you went to the website, it went right to his Twitter page, which was absolutely hilarious. So kudos to Mike Dice for pulling off that coup. We'll keep our finger to the pulse as it relates to Connor versus anybody at this point. It'd be huge if the UFC can get this done with Dustin. Would be a nice boost to cap off a crazy year for the UFC. But a boost for this matchup here on Between the Links goes to the champion. Phoenix Carnavale, she is on the board as we move ahead to UFC Fight Island 5 that took place this past Saturday night. A lot to unpack from that event. So we're going to try and condense everything into one round here. So we're going to start with the star of the show and, and as great as Corey Sanhagen's win was in the main event, and we'll get to him in a moment. The star of the show is Joaquin Buckley, who delivered one of the most ridiculous knockouts any of us have ever seen. My wife and son came downstairs and wondered what the hell was going on in the house when I was screaming at the top of my lungs after that kick landed to the face of poor Impa Kasanganai, maybe the nicest guy in the history of mixed martial arts. And now he's going to have to live with that knockout for the rest of his career. And it sucks because it couldn't happen to a to a nicer guy. But uh, you know what, Jose, we're going to start with you. This knockout seems to be a no-brainer for KO of the year in 2020. But the debate is right now, is this the greatest knockout in UFC history? So, is it? And if it's not, what's better? Top five for sure. Uh, I would probably put it uh, probably in the 2-3-4 range. I don't think it's the best. Uh, I personally think Yair Rodriguez's knockout of the Korean Zombie is the greatest knockout I've ever seen. Mostly because I was about 10 feet away from it. Uh, I was sitting octagon side when that happened in Denver. Uh, and I was like, wow, Korean Zombie is about five seconds away from winning. He's going to get another title shot. Yair Rodriguez, maybe this rematch will happen down the road when Yair Rodriguez is full training camp. And then the wherewithal to not only go for the kill, but to throw like a 6-12 elbow and catch Korean Zombie coming in. The, the, the fighter that no one can knock out, he knocked out with a 6-12 elbow uh, with one second left. So I think to me... That is the greatest knockout I have ever seen. And just to mix, it was the main event. It was the UFC's 25th anniversary. Neither fighter had fought in a long time. Uh, it was with one second left. So just all the star, the stars aligned for that. This could very well be two or three, but they got to put uh, like Gabriel Gonzaga and Crow Cop and Crow Cop has to be up there. Holly Holm head kicking Ronda, which basically shut the sports world down. It wasn't the most spectacular in terms of skill or style or, or the technique, but like everything was talking about like lady gaga tweeted about it like people like it broke the sports world and then of course weidman ko and anderson uh jose aldo knocking out mcgregor uh masvidal versus Askren. but uh, i personally have it probably in the two three range but to me korean zombie yari rodriguez is the most spectacular knockout i have ever seen in mixed martial arts I'm glad you mentioned the Holly Holm knockout because if, as you see on Twitter the last 48 hours or so, everyone's compiling their like lists of greatest knockouts since the Buckley one happened and everyone's leaving off Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. I think it's crazy. That's one of the, the, the most impactful KOs in the, in the history just, of the sport. I just think it happened. And again, that was UFC 193. And then the very next pay-per-view 194, Conor McGregor knocked out Jose Aldo. And that's what we're talking about. So I just think it, it just got overshadowed real quickly, but that kind of, again, that kind of shook the sporting world and the, and the world of uh, female mixed martial arts to its core for a while. 
Phoenix, we saw your good friend and uh, friend of the site, Dean Thomas, practice that kick on Fight Island with Jillian Robertson. One of the funniest videos over the weekend, no doubt about it. But I mean, that's what we're going to see now. Like all these up and coming fighters going to be like, ooh, did you see that? Maybe I could do that now. So it could be one of those game changing maneuvers. But in terms of where this ranks in the annals of history, where do you rank this one in terms of greatest knockouts of all time? If you're going categorically, then it could be the greatest knockout of, of all time based off of athleticism and technique because it takes a lot of balance in order to do that because you're popping off a leg that's already in the air. In terms of what it meant to the sport, nothing but a lot of tweets and a lot of publicity. It wasn't like it was in a title fight like the, the Ronda Rousey, Holly Holmes, where you dethroned the queen at the time. Um, it, in terms of like super scary knockouts, there's been some punches. Like, do you guys remember who knocked out Nate Corey? Where Rich Franklin. Rich, Rich Franklin. Franklin like, yeah. That like scared the crap out of me because Corey went like stiff. And then, you know, like in title fights, like Anderson Silva and the karate kid, you know, uh, kicked to, to Vitor Belfort's face. Like there's, there's knockouts that mean something to this sport. There's knockouts that show athleticism, like an Edson Barboza flying knee. There's super cool techniques, like a Paul Felder spinning back fist. So it depends, like if my going categorically kicks, yeah, then yes, this is, this is probably it. Am I going by technique? This is pretty up there. Am I going what it does for the sport in terms of popularity and tweets? Absolutely. So I, if I'm going by athleticism and technique, I would say it's probably number one because it's something we've really never seen before. We've seen spinning elbows. We've seen spinning back fists. We've seen flying knees. Um, so really, if you ask me what category, then I can give you an answer on what's the best, if that makes sense. Let me let me ask you this, Phoenix. If Edson Barboza had delivered that knockout in the co-main event on Saturday, would we be having a different conversation right now? Most likely, because of Edson's record of producing crazy spinning spinning shit. <laughs> you know, as I can say. And to be honest, we do practice that technique. When you miss a technique or you get caught, you spin off of it. I've pulled this off, but like in sparring with guys that are huge because they're strong enough to, to hold your foot up and stuff like that. We, you know, Phil nurses uh, who I trained with for years, he's like super tricky. He likes like, if you miss a kick, then you come with a spinning technique. You know, if you miss, miss a punch, then you spin and do your, your spinning elbow. So it's, it's definitely something that's practiced a lot, but it's extremely hard to pull off. You know what I mean? So I think Buckley's stock has definitely rose Almost to a point, it might be a little scary for him because now we're going to watch every fight like this, waiting for him to produce something like this again, you know, but I'm happy with it as a martial artist and as a nerd, like that was on, he called it Wakanda technique, but it was definitely on some Marvel comics, you know, spinning coolness. And I loved it. Would it have been bigger, Jose, if it was like during the main card, you think? I mean, I mean, obviously San Hagen's Naka was ridiculous and Edson Barboza had some good ones. But let's just say, let's just say, like Ben Rothwell did a kick like that in the main event. I mean, that's, that's just that's optics, though, because you would right. see a two hundred sixty-five pound hairy like gorilla throwing that against like a Polish zombie. So yeah, if that would just be optically, it would be just ridiculous if Ben Rothwell pulled that off. Like imagine 
what if Stefan Struve pulled that off? Yeah, it'd be absurd. Uh, the fact that I like, as the phrase is, Buckley looks good getting off the bus. When you see him get off the bus, you're like, that dude's an athlete. That guy's a fighter. Uh, but then, like, you got a guy like Ben Rothwell. You probably see him go, that guy's probably hauling logs down the road. That guy can't be a fighter. So, yeah, it would be different if, if he threw it. If Edson Barbosa threw it, I think it would just add to his aura and his mystique. And again, like Phoenix said, it would probably mean something a lot more because he hasn't had one of those knockouts since, since the Benio Darius fight. And like Phoenix said, whenever we're watching Edson Barbosa, we're like, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And then he pulls that off. It's like he's delivering. It's like he's giving us what we've been expecting. I don't think anyone in the world thought. I, I think I know people picked Buckley to win. I think a lot of people picked Impet to win this fight, especially how how he's looked recently. So Buckley stock definitely rose, but like people are going to expect that all the time. Like remember when John came knocked out with the John Hathaway with that spinning elbow to the face, which yeah. to me is one of the top five most violent knockouts I've ever seen because John Hathaway basically just turned into a floor mat. His next fight, he kept trying to pull something off against Tyron Woodley to to give the fans what they wanted, and it backfired completely. So uh, Barbosa knows how to fight, and now I hopefully Buckley doesn't fall into that because Barbosa can pull that off, but he's not trying to for the sake of trying to. He's throwing these techniques because he knows he'll knock them out. So if Barbosa threw it, it would just be different because it's what we expect. Now Buckley, it's like what it's. You're the flavor of the month right now. Can you pull it off again? Probably not. Let's be honest. Uh, but he'll get some crazy knockouts too. I just hope he doesn't fall into that category of trying to deliver these spectacular chaos every time just for the sake of chaos. Yeah. Great points right there by both of you. I mean, it was a ridiculous, huge moment for Mr. Buckley. It was also a big night for Corey Sanhag. We mentioned Edson Barboza. I do want to touch on him in a moment, but Sanhagen knocks out Mario Marais, spinning wheel kick in the second round, a huge win for the Sandman. And Jose, one of the questions we had heading into this card on Saturday is, will the title picture be cleared up at 135 pounds after this fight ends? So with Marlon Marais now out of the equation, is this like clear cut as can be, Jan versus Sterling, or is TJ Dillashaw still a looming factor to get an immediate title shot once he returns from suspension? I mean, the, the threat of TJ skipping the queue is always going to be there, especially just based on how the UFC books their their fighters and champions like because let's not forget marlon probably should have got the title fight already over jose aldo so i'm not even gonna try to match make the band and weight division because it's been so out of whack lately but i tweeted on fight week it should be jan algermain sterling is no brainer main event tj dillashaw Corey sanhagen love that script that's a fight night main event uh, or even if they want to make that the co-main event of Jan Sterling, so they're all on the same timeline, so be it. Uh, and then I, I, I'd like Marais versus Munoz, two fighters coming off a loss. And then I've been asking for Frankie Edgar versus Dominic Drews for about 10 years. So I just, I'm not going to not, I'm not going to stop saying that because in terms of just footwork and, and legacy and just remember that picture, they were all, all the champions were up on the stage and like Frankie and, Do- and Dominic Cruz are sitting, sitting there. Dominic was the bantamweight champ and Frankie was the lightweight champ. And I'm like, Dominic Cruz is bigger than the lightweight champion of the world. Why are they not fighting? And Jose Aldo was in the, in that mix too. And then I also just want to see Aldo favored too as, at Bantamweight because the first fight was a featherweight. So I just match make the entire Bantamweight division for the UFC. Probably won't happen because like I always say, Mike, it makes sense. And you can't make sense in mixed martial arts. But if the UFC wants to send me the check, they know where to find me here on the eyes of Ireland. <laughs> 
Phoenix, do you agree with Jose or do you see this playing out a little differently? Man, I just want to give Jose my point right now because that's beautiful matchmaking right there. <laughs> it's beautiful. But but here's the thing. If if and this is just as like a fan, if TJ skips the line, I'm going to be pissed off because based off what he did, I don't believe he deserves to skip the line at all. Even though I say TJ super fun fight, uh, you know, you you might want to see him against Sanhagen. I just don't believe that he deserves it. Also, I don't think Dominic Cruz, who just comes in out of anywhere, should get to do it too. But, you know, the UFC is the UFC, and rankings only work when they work. We use the rankings when we feel like it, right? When we have a star or something cool, then forget the rankings. And can I blame them? Because they made some really fun fights out of that as well. I like Dominic Cruz versus Frankie. I think that goes into that sort of veterans division thing, which we sometimes call for because we don't want to see the guys we love and we grew up with get messed up. We'd like to see them fight each other. but And they're both still very dangerous fighters as well. If Jan and Aljo doesn't happen, it's going to be super disappointing because you're going to be like, who did Aljo piss off? Because that doesn't make any sense for it not to happen at this point. It's very clear. Sanhagen is fun no matter who he fights. And I do believe that Munoz versus Morais makes the most sense because they are both coming off a loss and that redemption puts them where they're supposed to be again. So, yeah, let's just not skip the line, TJ. I don't think that you should, and I don't think that you deserve to be there. I don't really need to see... Um, I, I don't know. I I just feel like... Uh, yeah, he should be up there in the mix, but I don't think he jumps the line. And I think Aljo has done everything he needs to do to prove that he belongs there. There's so many factors in play, too, because I, I think because of TJ being who he is, the UFC obviously likes Piotr Jan quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You can argue that Jan versus Dillashaw is the bigger fight. Like, I, I don't think it's like 500,000 pay-per-view buys bigger, but I think it's one that has more intrigue because I think people just don't like TJ Dillashaw. He comes in as the natural heel. Jan, if he beats him, becomes this like huge hero because he beat the cheater. And then Sterling kind of gets screwed out of the deal. So, I mean, it, it is both fights are fascinating in their own ways. Sterling should definitely get the shot, but I wouldn't be shocked if they if they sneak Dillashaw in there. But I want I would rather see the way Jose lined it out. I think that's great. Maybe put them on the same card and everybody wins. But it could honestly be a tournament. Like have yeah. have have uh, Aljo Jan fight, and then the winner of Sanhagen Dillashaw fight the winner of that, and then the winner of Aldo Faber fights the winner of Marais Munoz, and you have a nice little like what sweet six five uh, elite eight right there is what we'd call it. So top eight of the bantamweight division is awesome. They should all just fight each other. <laughs> We're yes. throwing Cruz in there, but this, did Cruz even express any interest of jumping in, or are we just talking about him because we just talk about him? We're talking about him because Frankie wanted to fight him after he beat Munoz. Yeah. So if Frankie wants to fight him, and I think a lot of people would want that fight, and I think that'd be a fight Dominic would be fairly interested in just because Frankie's a name. Yeah. Uh, I think he would – I personally think he would be interested in that also because normally when Frankie's not a call-out type of guy, so when he calls for a guy, people tend to listen. And yeah. I also think it's interesting like – Cruz versus Sanhagen at some point, not this point, oh, I because it. I know Sanhagen belongs going up the line, but because they're they're um they're compared stylistically, it's very interesting. Even though I I would say I think Sanhagen is the better fighter because even though Cruz moves a lot, he just moves a lot for to, for the sake of moving a lot. 
um, where I just feel that Sanhagen's learned from Cruz's style and is, has a has a better version of it. So either way, it's it's all fun. It's they're all fun. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're all fair. I've True. given up on my dream for because I've wanted to see Cruz versus Marias since Marlon came into the UFC. And every time that I think we're getting close, it just gets pulled out from under us. So I've actually waved the white flag on that fight. I mean, we kind of saw it on Saturday. <laughs> it's as close as we're yeah. probably going to get to this point. But it is what it is. But one other name I did want to touch on because there's been a lot of debate about where Edson Barboza stands in this featherweight division after his win over Makwan Amir Khani, because he wants a top five, top six guy. A lot of people agree with that. Like some of the matchmaking ideas that I've seen on social media, some people want to throw him to Yair right away. Some people want to throw him to Max Holloway right away, Calvin Cater right away. But he's only got one win at 145 right now. So what do you think, Phoenix? Do we do we just throw him to the wolves right now? Or do we just build him up slowly and try to make some sort of meritocracy here? I mean, because of the fact that the way that Edson had lost when he lost, you know, we debate about Felder and and things like that. So I feel that people are giving him a lot of credit. But isn't Rodriguez, he's scheduled to, for, to fight Zabit, right? Maybe. We, that's no, like, it's not, yeah, it's not official right now. I don't know. So then who then who do you put him with? You know, you want to give him a top 10 guy. I feel that I feel that what he's done in the UFC and the way he's looked at times when he has looked good, and I don't think we give his jujitsu enough credit. He is a purple belt, you know. It's just that he's always struggled with wrestlers. It's a new division. It's almost like a new Edson Barboza at this point. He it should be a top ten guy. I I don't know who's matched up with who right now. I'm not looking at it, so I can't really. I can't really say who I think should he should match up with. Because there's only one fight. Like, it's just the one this Saturday that's, like, has a lot of significance in this division. Cater doesn't have a fight. Holloway doesn't have a fight. Zabit, Yair, neither of them have fights right now. And then Josh Emmett's hurt. I mean, you have guys like Shane no, Burgos. Here's what you do. Wait, I thought here's what you do. Yeah, he's hurt. Okay. Here's what you do. You're giving the winner of Arnold Allen and Jeremy Stevens because, believe it or not, Jeremy Stevens and Edson Barbosa have never fought, and they both have a thousand UFC fights combined. Okay. Arnold Allen, okay. I think it's Arnold Allen sitting at well, like eight or seven, if I'm not mistaken. Is he? He He's might eight. still be undefeated. He might not be. He beat Gilbert Melendez. Edson Barbosa has also beat. Uh, I think if Arnold beats Jeremy Stevens, he's right there in the top six. He's super young. I don't know if Edson would take that fight, but if he's looking at rankings. I also just selfishly want to see Calvin Cater versus Max Holloway, so I don't want to take Cater away from that. Uh, and I think Josh Emmett is his knee is just destroyed. Is it not? Like he's not fighting for a while. Yeah. Which would mean Arnold and I think Arnold and Stevens are like eight nine or nine ten. So I think the winner of that would make a lot of sense. He's still top ten. And I think Jeremy Stevens wins that fight. And Jeremy Stevens versus Edson Barbosa is just super violent. And I want to see it. I feel like this should just go ahead. Boza versus Sadiq Yusuf. I mean, it's right there. You, I mean, it wasn't an injury that forced him out of the fight. It was a, a passport issue. So if he wants to get back in right away. Let's do it. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gives us a That's fun too. It's sort of a waiting game, you know, who's free, who's not booked and who's not hurt. Yeah. Yeah. See, 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 this is a good event because it led to a lot of discussion points. Go ahead, Jose. You could give him, if Brian Ortega wins, that's two losses in a row. He's probably still top five. You could give him Brian Ortega if if he's coming off a loss. Like the loser on Saturday's main event versus Edson Barbosa would still be fun. 
Yes, a lot of fun matchups for Mr. Barboza. But I mean, Else, if you do the you should fight, stay ready because we know Brown Ortega Korean Zombies are not going to happen. <laughs> don't leave the island, Top Hudson. Pitch. <laughs> don't don't leave that movie. No, Mike. I'm very superstitious. So people, let, people are very aware of my affinity for this fight, but it's never going to happen. Cool, Alex. Do not clip this for social media. Don't do it. Let's not put this negative juju out in the world, all right? Sheesh. But moving moving up in this matchup, I mean, that's a Barbosa wants to move up in this division, but moving up in this matchup, Jose Young's, even though the negative juju is on the board. How about that? So let's uh let, let's let's switch gears a little bit before we take a look at this weekend's card, because another big story coming out of last week, we got to hear from Tony Ferg for the first time in a little while. He speaks with ESPN's Ariel Hawani, and it was like it was like El Kakui's Festivus. The airing of grievances were out towards everybody. And he's uh, he's pretty frustrated, to say the least, that he hasn't been able to book a fight. He feels like he's not getting the respect he deserves. Of course, he was supposed to fight Dustin Poirier next weekend at UFC 254. That thing fell apart. Poirier, like we discussed earlier, now turning his attention towards Conor McGregor. Tony is pissed about this, and rightfully so. So now he's wondering what is next for him. So, Phoenix, we will begin with you. What does the UFC do with Tony Ferguson to help alleviate some of this frustration? Well, I do feel that in a lot of ways, Tony's taken it per- personally, but a lot of it is like booking time and availability. And then of course the money. And there are things that he did say no to like Michael Chandler. And then the Poirier thing was going to happen, but it was a financial thing that fell apart. I'm not Tony, so I can't say that he shouldn't take it personally because I don't know what negotiations have gone on because there's one thing that the UFC says and then there's things that Ferguson say. The interview itself, like my head was spinning. I got to give Ariel a lot of credit because there was times I was like, what the F is he talking about? <laughs> and you could see Ariel like, blink, 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 what? You know what I mean? Like he was like, my hands are like this, but then my hands are like this and someone's pulling my hands. And I was like, What? Like, I know you know what you're talking about, but we don't know what you're talking about. Give me specifics, Tony. But look, from his perspective, I would kind of be pissed off too. Poirier's like, I want to fight you, but I want more money. And then I'm Ferguson and I back you up and I give the man the money, pay the man, let's make this happen. And then Chandler comes in out of nowhere and he's a backup for a fight that Ferguson was supposed to have almost five or six times ago. Can someone please look this up and find out if Ferguson Khabib has been the most canceled fight in combat sports history? Because I like think it is, right? Am I right? It's like it has the record for that. It's, it's way not, up there. It, yeah. Like I don't I can't think of another fight that's been canceled this many times. I know that 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 Dana says that he wants to make that fight. So I do understand Ferguson's frustration because he wants to be busy, he wants to be active, but he's also not getting what he wants. And if they are offering things to him and he's saying no to them, that's it's that's a negotiation tactic tactic. It's not that, you know, nobody cares about you because you're still always up there in the upper echelon of fighters to fight. He, he's just not used to losing, you know, up and up until the, that Gaethje fight, Gaethje threw a wrench and everything for him. Really, before that, the only thing Tony Ferguson was losing, losing to was Tony Ferguson, whether it be injuries or personal issues, you know, so. I feel that he's frustrated and there's a lot of things that he can point his fingers of frustration at. And I think that what happens is he waits and something clears up in that division and he'll be right up there again. It's just, unfortunately, patience and money. 
What do you think, Jose? Because it seems like the obvious option here is to book Michael Chandler, but you probably have to pony up a few more bucks to make that happen. And if it's not a five round fight, then you're kind of like, eh, what's the point here? Because right. Tony Tony Ferguson's kind of like a main event fighter at this point. I think he's he's earned that right to to be in that position. So what do you do with, you know, you, you got the division pretty much booked up. You got Gaethje versus Habib. If Habib wins, the UFC is promising him this big, huge thing next year that's not GSP or Connor. I have a hard time believing Tony is the guy based on these conversations, but maybe it could be. Like, what do we do here? Pay the man. That's what you do. I mean, every fight, like, for all this talk of fighter pay, like, pay the man. Like, pay Dustin to fight. Like, that was the whole thing. Like, it was financial. We could have avoided this if we just paid the man. Like, the fact that Dustin was being like Tony and Dustin were being loyal to each other. They're trying to match make that regardless. And then they offered Tony another fight, but he was like, no, I want to stay loyal to Dustin. And Dustin was like, no, I want to take this fight with Tony because he looked out for me and this and that. And then they just turn around and book Dustin and Connor, which is obviously the bigger fight monetarily, but Tony is higher ranked. And now Dustin is getting paid more to fight a lower, technically lower ranked fighter that might just make them more money. I totally get where Tony Ferguson's coming. Like it's slapping the face to him. Like I, Looked out for this guy. I went on Twitter and said, Dana White, pay this man what he wants so we can fight and give the fans what they want. They don't. They cancel the fight. And then they give the man money to fight a guy that's going to make the promotion more money. Like, I totally, totally get it. So the only solution for Tony is the UFC needs to pay. The only solution is they need to pay him. If they give him what he wants, make Chandler versus Ferguson. I, I love that fight as it is. And I know the Dan Hooker fight is out there. And I know Charles Oliveira is out there. Tony Ferguson should fight Habib, the winner of Habib Justin, which obviously isn't going to happen, Doug Poirier or Connor. They're all booked up. Tony should just wait it out, get paid, and maybe he can slot in there some way. But it's just a bummer situation all around that Tony Ferguson in the past has not fought for issues in his personal life and injuries. And now neither one is holding him back, and we're still not able to see him fight. It's just an absolute bummer of a situation bummerville population me so pay the man his money uh and we can see him inside the outcome hopefully five rounds and if not i want to see him versus connor or him versus poirier so badly chandler's my option three just because i also think chandler deserves a big name for his first UFC fight so i don't care any of those three names i'm fine with but at the end of the day pay the man what he's worth phoenix let me throw out a name here okay because one thing that tony ferguson said amidst the they tried to pull my hands apart and I gave you a little <laughs> glimpse thing is that he mentioned that I have the frame of a 205 or I could go up to 170. I can go up to 185. What if the UFC threw him a little bit of a bone here? What if they did Tony Ferguson versus Nick Diaz at 170 pounds? Give you a big name, a name that people are going to circulate around a, a fight. He should probably win rather easily, but you never know. It is combat sports and anything can happen. He could slip on a banana peel or something, but People would, I mean, let's be honest, future odds, Tony's probably like a minus 500 favorite in that fight, and that's probably being respectful here. What about that? Like, if the UFC was like, listen, Tony, I know you're frustrated, bro. Let me give you let me give you this fight with Nick Diaz at 170. People want to see it. People will be excited for it. You'll go in there, get a win, and then we'll do something fun for you. Would you be all right with that? Hell yeah, I would be all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have no other way to, the, first of all, that's a gift. It's a gift to the fans. It's a gift to Tony Ferguson. It keeps him busy, and it also gives him a fun fight. Let's not act like we don't like super fights, we don't like exciting fights, and we don't like names. And if anybody 
would stay active and make a fun fight for Tony Ferguson, it would be that. And, and Tony has discussed the whole weight issue and, and the whole back and forth thing. The only thing I'm afraid of is if he did go to 170, is that him not wanting to go back down? Because it does feel good not to have to cut weight, you know? But he's a competitive guy. Maybe he says he, he does it again. You know, the crazy thing where he cut weight when he didn't have to cut weight just to prove that he could cut weight, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting. And I, I say if you want to try to get Nick Diaz back in there and you want to entice him with something fun, why not? I mean, we we never got an answer to if this was going to happen or not. There was, were whisperings of it, you know. He's he, Nick Diaz is like the boogeyman at this point. And it, it's so amazing to me that even casual fans know who he is and are interested in him coming back. Like, what a legacy the Diaz brothers have that you just say Diaz and people go, ooh. You know what I mean? It's, it's cool. I like it. Every 13, 14 months we deal with this with Nick. It's unbelievable. Jose, I mean, could we see could we see Ferguson just jump up to 170 for like a fun fight just to keep him busy and keep him happy? Sure, why not? He won the ultimate fighter welterweight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's a ton of fights at welterweight. I mean, I would look anyone in the top ten at welterweight, I'd watch Tony Ferguson fight. But also, weirdly enough, I never want to see it, but I've interviewed Tony Ferguson. And he's like, I'll go down and fight Max Holloway 145. I'm like, I don't think that's physically possible. I guarantee I, – I know you believe you can make 145. I don't think anyone outside of yourself believes that. So uh, I know – I agree with Phoenix that he's a competitive cat. And if he goes to 170 and, he, and someone's like, you know what? I don't think you can make 155 again. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it right now. I don't even have a fight. I'll cut to 155. So I guarantee you Tony could do both. I would love to see him at 170. Like the Nate Diaz fight would be fun. Uh the Nick Diaz fight would be fun. <sighs> Masvidal would be fun. Like any of those, any of those cats. Like, like I'll watch him fight anyone, any of those guys. But I so I just whatever fight makes him the most money. That's my answer. What about Hamza Chimaev? Oh my God, at two hundred five <laughs> pounds, right? Because that's that that, that two pound fight everyone in every weight class. <laughs> no, Hamza has watched. Darren Till said he fight Hamza if he be, if he gets through Jack Hermanson. So I think Hamza is uh, licking his lips at that uh, the possibility of that fight. Well, we got to put Chimaev in every show that we do at least one. So there you have it. Uh, Phoenix Carnavale gets the point here in a fun third round. Again, this is a tough. These questions were tough to narrow down this week. There's so much to talk about. Well, let's head to Jose's favorite topic. This Saturday night, the big fight in the featherweight division, Brian Ortega takes on the Korean zombie. Jose's fight of all fights. No one at earth has been talking about this <laughs> matchup more than Jose Young since probably 2015. So, I mean, we have to start with you. It would be apropos to start with Mr. Young's. Much like the main event this past Saturday, Jose, that was a huge one for the Bantamweight division. Could clear up some cobwebs in the title picture. This one could answer some championship road questions at 145. Is this simple here? Is the winner of this fight pretty much guaranteed a title shot against Volkanovski or or not? What do you think? I think so, 100%, mostly because like what we said in an earlier uh, question, the rest of the division isn't really matched up in the top five. So if this is the only fight. Like, what are they like? One in three, if that's so like I and Dana White has already said, like, winner of this gets Alex Volkanovski. Now that is like, let's not forget. These are also two of the more fragile fighters that we've seen in UFC history. Brian Ortega hasn't fought in like almost two years. Korean zombie has had massive layoffs due to injuries. And of course the, the mandatory uh, military service uh, in South Korea. So let's say in a hypothetical world, this fight actually happens and the world <laughs> is aligned and the winner gets out clean. 
and not like I was at the when Korean Zombie lost to Yair Rodriguez. Korean Zombie had to stay an extra few days in Denver because he was so injured he couldn't get on the plane. They were afraid the pressure would like rupture something in his brain. So very fragile individuals. Also, two fighters who are probably tough, too tough for their own good. Like their body keeps fighting through pain. And if that is the case in this fight, I don't think the winner is going to come out scot free. But let's say in this world, they come out healthy after this fight, this this mythical fight actually happens. The winner absolutely gets Volkanovski. I know people say, oh, Brian Ortega is coming off a just horrifically one sided TKO loss to Max Holloway. But I view it as He's not fighting Max Holloway again. This is Alexander Volkanovsky. This is a new matchup for the champion. We've seen, we saw him fight Max Holloway back-to-back time. So at this point, I do not care who Alexander Volkanovsky fights next. I just want a fresh matchup. And this is the only fight. These are the only two fighters in the top five that have an official uh, fight lined up. He's not getting Holloway a third time. So, yes, 100%. This fight that will never happen will determine the next number one contender at featherweight. <laughs> Phoenix is the winner of this fight, fighting Volkanovski for the title, or this is the UFC. Could this go a different way? It, look, it, timeline-wise, it, it it really is about that because, like we said, Rodriguez and then Zabit, like it, what's going on with that? Is it happening? Is it not happening? Is that, That's in talks. That seems like the next matchup that's going to happen. And then Cater with an injury. So who else really belongs there? They are, it is the the top guys. They are in that echelon of, of uh, what's going to circulate. I look at zombie and I look at Brian Ortega and I say, do we want to see Max Holloway again versus Volkanovsky? Probably not. You know, okay. The first fight, I'm not really sure. It, it, it warrants a rematch. We get the rematch. The second fight, it's a lot more clear. But is anybody really asking for a third fight? Not really. I think that the mix-up, like, if if Zombie doesn't win and get the title matchup, Zombie Holloway is kind of fun. You know, Max is always, like, there to kind of put in pieces so that if we have enough big enough break between Vol- Volkanovski and Holloway, that if we do do that third fight, I care about it again. I don't necessarily care right now. So that that's why I think, Ortega and Zombie getting that next shot makes the most sense, even though there's just such a break. There's still, even though it was just such a bad loss to Holloway, there is still a lore around what Ortega's possibilities are. And Zombie's been around and given us so many fun fights that we're interested in whatever that he does too. And then this is kind of a new Brian Ortega. There's been a long enough break for us to say, who is he now? What has he done? What's this new training camp been like with this team and his recovery? Like, who, who are we going to see Saturday night? And I think that's interesting to the fans as well, because he he's so beloved by fight fans because of what he does outside of the cage as well. So there's a lot behind Ortega that makes people want to root for him, because even though he lost pretty badly to Max Holloway, what did we leave saying? Damn, he has a chin. Damn, he's got a good fighting spirit. Damn, that kid's a warrior. So as far as a star, I think he's still there. Yeah, it's. I mean, this division is just so interesting. You got, just to clarify, Cater's fine. Cater can fight tomorrow if he wants. Emmett's, okay. Josh Emmett's hurt badly. Like, he's the one who tore his ACL and still yeah. beat Shane Burgos, which is just ridiculous. Wasn't that it like does. his ACL, his PCL? Like, he tore yeah. everything. Everything. His knee like, fell apart. Yeah. 
his, his knee is basically not attached to his body at this point. But if there's one thing we've learned about Josh Emmett over the years is he's not Tony Ferguson freakish, but he's close to it. So he'll probably okay. fight sooner than we think. But so that's a huge fight at 145. And obviously, I think so, too. The winner of that will will fight Volkanovski. Volkanovski also thinks that as well as he was on what the heck a couple weeks ago and said that, listen, I'm fighting the winner of that fight unless it's a t- terrible fight, which probably will not happen. But Jose, looking at this card as a whole. This is, I mean, you've been in Abu Dhabi since the beginning. You got one more week after this, and then you get to fly back home to the good old U.S. of A. But this will be the third fight night card of the bunch. You get the two pay-per-views sprinkled in. Great main events, some really interesting matchups on paper. Is this the best fight night card of the three? Ooh, interesting question. I don't think so. I think the last one, top to bottom, might be a notch above. Uh, this is an awesome card, but I think they're just oh, – man, that's tough. Now, thinking about it now, I think this this card coming up, just the last card might just be a notch above this one. Like the fact that like Giga Jakadze was on the prelims, and he – I am such a big fan of him. I think he's just one of the more fun fighters to watch. Like uh, uh, Duplessis making his UFC debut was – I've been waiting for him to join the UFC for a long time. Uh, man. Yeah, I'd say the last one was just a notch above, but this one is awesome. I think both cards are obviously better than the Holly Holm card, and that's not a knock on the fighters. I just name value and what I expect from this card is slightly above, but I think the last card is just a notch above this one. So, Phoenix, we got the main event. We got Ciro Gan versus Ante Delija. We got Jessica Andrade, Caitlin Chukagan, two up and coming 205ers, Medesis Bakakis and uh, Jimmy Crew. We got Almeida versus Jonathan Martinez. James Krause being all James Krause like, fighting mm-hmm. a dangerous guy like Claudio Silva on less than two weeks' notice. Jillian Robertson on the card, so forth and so on. Do you think this is the best of the three fight night cards on Fight no, Island? Definitely not. Which one's better? Definitely not. I mean, the, the co main event is a guy that's making his UFC debut. The co main event last week was Edson Barboza. So definitely not. I'm not saying that it's a bad card, but I'm saying that there were a lot more potential stars in last week's card. And I guess, you know, a little bit, some of it's my bias coming from the LFA and and watching these LFA guys become, you know, stars. Uh, so I'm I'm just thinking like, hey, this is good. I like the Caitlin Chikugan versus Jessica Andrade, you know, Jessica Andrade changing weight classes. Let's see what she does. I, I, I see Caitlin beating her because again, the, the, the body type of Chikugan is is like Jessica Andrade's sort of Achilles heel, long, lanky fighter, likes to fight at range. Andrade is going to have to fight to get in like she always does. Um, of course, everybody's interested in the main event. And James Krause is James Krause. You, you know, you'll watch him do anything. He's just such a fun guy and such a great coach. But last week, last week had star potential. It, it made a lot of names last week. I'm excited for this card. And and honestly, that fight with Andrade and Chukagin is huge for that division, especially mm-hmm. if Andrade wins, because at UFC 254, you got Cynthia Calvillo versus Lauren Murphy on the main card. And many believe the winner of that is going to go on to fight the winner of Shevchenko versus Maya. But sure. what if Jessica Andrade goes out there and beats Caitlin Chukagin? That could throw a little wrinkle to the plans. Oh, I'm like, all I'm saying is, like, I don't see anybody beating Shevchenko. There's no I know. Way. I was about to say yeah. I was about to say, Mike, when you say the winner of Valentina versus Maya, like just say Valentina. Oh, how dare you? It would probably be one of the most stunning upsets ever, really, yeah. because oh, I think the, it, yeah, one hundred percent. She's been so dominant 
it's one of the only fighters like something's going to have to something crazy would have to happen for her to lose. Uh, in my opinion, it's she's just she's just such a step above everybody. So, yeah, we'll see. We will see. And we will see a knocker around here because Jose Young says tied oh, things I wanna, up. Oh, I just also want to say I forgot to mention. Don't forget about Mateus Gamrot. I have been waiting yes. for that cat to join the UFC for so long. I think he's going to be like, he got signed. They announced that he signed at the UFC the same day Michael Chandler signed. And I was like, just inject the lightweight division directly <laughs> into my veins. Because that is the two best non-lightweights I could think the UFC could sign in one day. Absolutely. So with that, we're going to head to knock around. One question is going to decide this competitive battle. Between Jose Youngs and the champ, Phoenix Carnavale, neither of these wonderful competitors have any idea what this question is. I will tell you, it is a completely different road than we've discussed throughout the program. They're each going to have 60 seconds to answer said question. Then we'll turn it over to Judge E. Casey Lydon, who will render the final decision. So, Phoenix, you are the champ. You get some perks. One of those perks is you have the option. Do you want to answer this question first, or do you want to pass it on to Jose? Uh, I'll answer it first. Okay. Phoenix, here is the question. The UFC is not the only major promotion with an important event this week because Bellator is back with Bellator 249, their first show on American soil that will air on the CBS network. Now, we talked to CBS Sports Network, excuse me. We, we discussed this move a couple weeks ago on the program. Main event, Chris Cyborg is going to defend her featherweight title against Arlene Blanco. Patricky Pitbull is on the car. He's going to fight Jaleel Willis in the co-main event. We get Ricky Bandejas versus Leandro Higo and more. This is an important event event for Bellator Phoenix, especially with Chris Cyborg, one of their biggest stars headlining. In the last couple weeks, Bellator's had events that were eh, okay. Last week was in Paris. A couple of fun cards, but there wasn't a ton of promotional push. The main events didn't really deliver, especially last weekend. So... The question is, with this event kicking off their Thursday night slate on CBS Sports, of course, Musasi versus Lima is October 29th. How important is it for Bellator to have this event deliver in a big way on Thursday night? So we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock and go. I think it's highly important for Bellator right now, especially since MVP, who is one of their, like, let's cut up some clips and, and show him <laughs> to, to promote Bellator, uh, did not have a, I mean, he won, but it wasn't his most successful matchup ever, and it wasn't his most exciting fight ever. So I think it's important. And then plus, you know, you, you get a big name like Chris Cyborg, hopefully she does, you know, win, but doesn't run through this girl too quickly because then it'll be like, oh, you gave her a can. So you want it to be actually a competitive matchup because it would make Bellator and their fighters look better if it's an exciting sort of nail-biting fight to watch. Um, it just, to, just to see that there's more in that division than just their former UFC stars, which is what a lot of our criticism of Bellator is. Then Jaleel Willis, who's a talented fighter, I've, I've seen the LFA many times, that matchup with, with Pitbull, it's a big difference there because Pitbull has so much more experience if you look at that fight record. All right, Jose. Bellator 249, Thursday night, CBS Sports Network, Thursday night slate here at American Soil, back at the fight sphere, Mohegan Sun, Connecticut. How big is it? How important is it for Bellator to have this thing go off 
with an A or an A plus type of event. 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. Honestly, the fights are great, and I know they're going to deliver, but if I'm CBS headquarters, I am hoping. Remember the last two times they, that there was a major MMA promotion signed to CBS? We got the Strike Force Brawl. That was on CBS. Horrible day in the world of mixed martial arts. Remember the last promotion before Strike Force? Elite XC. When, when Kimbo Slice by, what was it, Thompson? That, and then Kimbo Slice got knocked out later by Seth Petruzzelli. And then there was basically almost a riot inside the arena. Like, if I'm CBS officials, I'm like, dear God, let this fight, let all of these fights play out. If they're great fights, great. If they're not, that's just MMA. We can't get bangers all the time. But my God, let's let's not hope for controversy. Let's not hope for brawls. Let's not hope uh, uh, Mayhem Miller just hops the fence and gets in the face of Chris Cyborg, and then Chris Cyborg punches him in the face. Let's not, let's hope Seth Petrozelli doesn't have to step Five in seconds. last minute and throw everything up. So no brawls, and that's a success, Bomb CBS. <laughs> wow. That was a good round. That was a great round. And now we have to turn it over to to Judge E. Casey Lydon because Jed Mashu has made quite a name for himself just tugging on the heartstrings of Casey Lydon to pick yeah. up these victories in this final round. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna lean here. Normally I have an idea and normally I'm wrong. So Casey, the judge, the jury, we leave it to you. You've heard the arguments. How do you rule? As someone that was in the arena for those CBS shows, I'm, I'm, I'm having a little bit of flashbacks right now, so give me a moment. <laughs> As someone that was, was literally an employee of Elite XC when Kimbo got knocked out, let, let, me, let me breathe for a moment. <laughs> oh boy. Your winner. And still, Phoenix, Phoenix Valley. Wow. Wow. Thank wow. you, guys. Thank oh, you. I, I have to don't. say, this was so fun because I I love Jose and I like read your Twitter all the time. And we, we're very, <laughs> Jose, I have a Wu-Tang tattoo. I saw it. Oh, I see. What, what, what do you got? A Wu-Tang tattoo. Oh, that's so a he, he makes hip hop right comments all the time. So I'm like, are we best friends? So this we is are. so fun I, to do this with you. Yeah, I also saw all your statues in the background. Oh, I know yeah. we talked about Jackie Chan Adventures multiple few times on Twitter. There are a few people in the industry that I respect more than you, Phoenix, mostly because you fly the nerd flag better than most people <laughs> I've met outside of MMA. So if I have to lose to someone, I'm glad I'm not losing to Jed because we all know that wasn't true. I'm glad I lost. I am I am happy to lose to Phoenix because she is a fantastic ambassador for the sport and nerd fandom all around. Wow. Thank you. What, thank a, you. what a glorious way to, to wrap up the show. But before we do that, Phoenix, you know the drill. 30 seconds. You can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, good, bad, and different in the sport of MMA. You want to plug something? The floor is yours. Uh... I should plug that I work for this um, percussion massage gun, gun company called Nimble. So if you're an athlete and you're like, in, I'm serious, I honestly use this thing, it's great. You use my coach Phoenix for 20% off and you can get a Nimble massage massage gun. The thing is so dope and so good for your calves if you've gone running or you've been kicking a lot. So check out the Nimble. I'm very bad at self-promotion, but it's, it really is. I would not work for a product if I didn't think it was awesome. 
See, she she could have said anything, but instead well she wants said. to save you money, ladies and gentlemen. That is a selfless <laughs> thirty seconds right there. She's trying to save you twenty percent. At least it wasn't for CBD company, like everybody. Oh. <laughs> Are you even an MMA fighter if you don't post pictures of tigers and CBD products on your Instagram? No, that's how you know it's real. That's there you go. <laughs> that's how you know they they do UFC, bro. Well, this is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. We appreciate you guys watching and listening every week. For Jose Youngs, for our champ, Phoenix Carnavale, we're going to have to start lining up contenders for Phoenix because she's just running everybody off at this point. So thank you all very much for watching. I am Mike Heck. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links with your host, Mike Heck. Brought to you by MMA Fighting, a production of Vox Media. 